Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second Echo Commune podcast. With me today is Daniel. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing very fine, thank you. Any games besides Echo you've been playing recently? Yes, uh, I've been playing... Um, now, it has two different names, actually. There's a, um, an American name and a power name. I think the American name is Sakura Samurai. Yeah. And the power game, I think, is Hana Samurai or something like that. Uh, I actually just go by the uh, American name. But yeah, I've been playing that over the past couple of days. Oh, cool. What is it like? Well, it's a, it's a 3DS eShop game and like a 3D combat game. And you play as a samurai and you're surrounded by various enemies and you take them on one by one and you're automatically locked on to each individual enemy and you have to evade their vertical and horizontal slashes or their throwing stars and arrows. And once you've evaded an attack, you can then respond to the attack. It's sort of like 3D Zelda combat, but with the kind of interplay and pattern reading of punch-up. So the flow of combat is a little stricter than Zelda? That's right, yeah, because you're always locked onto an enemy and the game will choose which enemy that will lock onto you, that is, whichever enemy is ready to attack you. And then there's a little bit of leeway on before they do come in to attack. But you're always locked on, and your movement is relative to the enemy that you are locked onto, and you can move forward, back, left, or right in those fixed positions, you know, like a forward dash or a side dash or, or a back dash. Huh. The actual options for you to respond are very limited in that sense. It's not that open 3D space that you have in Zelda Combat. But it's quite useful because it makes it really clean, where it's like, you know, if they look like you're going to do a vertical slash, then you just step to the left or right. Yeah, it reminds me of Star Tropics and how the movement was really discreet, or at least your description reminds me of Star Tropics. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if Star Tropics had a. Uh, not over the shoulder, but like in you know, a further back camera, and okay. the position of the camera is based on whichever enemy is going to attack you. So it's kind of like relative to the enemies around you, and it bounces on between the different relative reference points. So yeah, it's really cool, and I'm near the, I think I'm up to the final boss. Uh, it's not a very long game, but it's quite a challenging game. It really is like Punch-Out in the sense that you've got to memorize the patterns and so on. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it, and I totally recommend it. Good to hear. All right, and the last member of our podcast, <laughs> Greg. Hi, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. That's good. So, besides Echo, what have you been playing? I actually finally cleared the NES version of Gradius, and that nice. one I've been practicing cool. for a couple months on my 3DS and getting nowhere. And then I loaded it up on an actual TV screen and cleared it without a problem. Oh, wow. So did the size of the screen make that difference? I think it's the size of the screen because you know the graphics were not designed for a three-inch display or whatever. And I think part of it is also the game requires a lot of tapping of the shoot button. (laughs) So I'm kind of rocking the system as I'm trying to keep my ship steady and dodge through these tight patterns. And part of it is the D-pad doesn't work too great on shmups on the 3DS. Hmm. Hmm. It's a fun game, though. Okay. So one of the things I want to cover today is variation in Echo. At a glance, levels in Echo seem hodgepodge, and it's hard to really gauge any sort of consistent idea or method of progression for how they were designing levels. So I wanted to take the time today to investigate these levels see if there are any recurring trends or, you know, reason to the variation of challenges. First up is Daniel. Mine will be uh, Deep Water, which is also the name of a song, which I like from Portishead. (laughs) (laughs) So in Deep Water, there are a series of vertical shafts. And so obviously the main theme of this level is that you are going into deeper and deeper water. But there's a bit more to it than that. So at the very top, it looks like, just from the map that we're looking at, from either the left or the right side, but actually you have to start from the left because on the right side, there's a current that pushes you up 
And then we come to the first shaft and we can see that the yellow balls are spikes. And so there's the vertical shaft and there's four corridors that split off of the shaft. And before each of those horizontal corridors, you've got a set of spikes. So basically, you have to swim around the spikes in order to make your way through to the um, horizontal corridors. But the problem is that there is a current that goes up and so every couple of seconds the current will push you upwards. That makes things a little bit more difficult. And there are really two ways around this I found when I was playing. One is that you have to accelerate and go down and either left or right in the one smooth motion. And the second way is that you have to swim past the corridor that you want to go into and then wait for the next swell of current to push you up and then you know, swim up and into the corridor. But let's be careful about how you move into these little narrow offshoot corridors. I think it's a bit messy challenge because you've also got some enemies. You've got the crabs down three of the corridors and they're really annoying because they home in and swing right towards you. They're very fast. And then you've also got a series of jellyfish in the vertical shaft as well. And it's really annoying because you've got this swell of current that's pushing you upwards. And if you try to fight that current, then you move faster down the shaft, but then you're more likely to run into something. It's really quite tricky because you've got spikes, you've got enemies, you've got currents. So there's a timing element with the currents if you want to try and work around that timer. And then you have to be careful as well to avoid on the enemies. And you, and you have to make a really tricky move as well. So there's a lot for the player to consider. And I think just by adding those jellyfish, I think they overdo this challenge and it's a bit too much for the player. That corridor speaks a lot to what makes Echo Echo. <laughs> First, you mentioned that it has the current going upwards and how there's a couple of different ways you can adapt to how the current behaves. And I feel like in general with Echo, moving through space is just messy enough that I'm not certain what to do but at the same time lenient enough that I can wrangle it to get to do what I want. So in particular in that section, I would just hit Echo's nose on the bottom and then lean towards the left and hope that he swam into the passage I needed. Two, there's those dead ends, which they're a very typical... Yeah, I mean, I found that. You know, they just said, well, this is pointless. Like, you can pretty much just swim right through the enemies and then just eat some fish at the bottom of the shaft. And you know, that's the quickest, most effective way to get through. And it, um, mm -hmm. it's a good way and it's a typical way of enticing you to use that sonar. By this stage in the game, you should be pretty comfortable looking ahead of yourself with the sonar. Mm. It's a useful tactic throughout the game. And also, like you said, a lot of times it's just easier to eat the damage and then refill your health later. Throughout the game, they're really lenient with health pickups or power-ups. Yeah. So when you mention the wacky crab enemies and the jellyfish that take up space, you can take more damage getting caught up and trying to kill them rather than just swimming straight through them and eating the fish. What really compounds that problem too is that because there's that current moving you up and down on the shaft, and because the enemies respawn pretty much as soon as they're off screen sometimes, it's a bit of a messy situation, I think that the nature of their respawning really compounds on the difficulty. Yeah. Isn't it funny how a lot of times in games we appreciate layered challenges and sometimes they come together harmoniously, but here in Echo, a current and an enemy, it seems like, you know, it seems like a challenge that's a good idea, but somehow we all get the idea that it is kind of a mess. And I agree that it doesn't play well, but it's curious that it doesn't, and I don't know that I can explain why. Well, I mean, on the current is moving you around a lot. And if you move around a lot, then you'll be moving towards and then away from the enemies. And so that means that there's a high probability that they'll respawn. And so then it's like, why even bother trying to kill them in the first place? If in two seconds, a current's going to push you upwards and then they'll be back again. You know, it's like, <laughs> the effort's close to nothing. Even if you have the sonar attack, the time it takes the current to push you upward can easily have those enemies respawn. And the charge attack is pretty much your best shot for going through that and assuming the auto-targeting works. Of course, the current will still push you up. No, no, actually, never mind. The current won't push you up because if you're already moving, 
Echo does it charge instantaneously. So the charge attack actually is your best way of going through that in a smooth manner. So that's normally what you would do. Actually, if <laughs> if you successfully attack an enemy, that'll won't that pause you and then allow the current to push oh, you back? Oh yeah, that's that's what it was. Um, <laughs> you have echo, to swim through them. It's, it's echo stopping after you kill the enemy yeah. that you end up getting pushed back up. So yeah, that's I think I think you still have enough uh, just enough time mm-hmm. to hit the stroke button fast enough that you can keep them from respawning. Okay. I don't know. I have to review my own video. And so then we have a series of channels entirely on the left hand side, and for the rest of the level, I think they more currents. So it's really just that very, very top part, like the kind of roundabout at the top. And then you've got that first shaft and that's it for currents. And I feel like the first challenge would have fit in with the rest of the level if they just removed the currents. In any case, you've got a similar thing going on for the rest of the level where you'll go down a long shaft and then you'll eat a few fish or get some air, and then you'll go down into the next section, and it's broken up quite neatly. And we also see that they have a few patches of spikes as well. Ironically, the first challenge is probably one of the most difficult challenge of the whole level, I'd say. Yeah, trying to get through that unscathed. They do that a few times in Echo. So it's kind of inconsistent with the rest of the level. But uh, yeah, once you get down past the first challenge... It's not too bad. And so really the elements that differ between the between each of the challenges is really the position of the spikes. And so we see that on the further you go down, there are more spikes. For example, there's like a small patch on the left, right, and at the bottom of the first, second, third shaft. So there's a patch at the bottom which punishes you if you're just flying through and then after that, at the fourth shaft and the longest shaft at the very bottom, there's this kind of left-right configuration going on as well. And what's interesting about this one is that, for some reason, the controls are different. Yes. And you just... Uh, that's like kind of the weirdest thing. It's like, um, Adrian, I think you want to talk about these controls because I'm not sure if this is the first time in the game where they do it, but they certainly do it in other areas of the game as well. Yeah, no, I noticed they do it in a few other areas. It's not scripted, is it? I thought it was just whenever Echo is in a tight enough corridor, whether vertical or horizontal, he won't turn, and instead he'll just strafe in whatever direction you push. I can't tell because the passages going down, the earlier passages, Echo still moves diagonally. It's just that one specific corridor, which is the same width as all the ones prior. That's right, yeah, so I, I found that when I was playing this level that I took a few hits at first because I didn't know what was going on with the controls. <laughs> the spikes are one element of variation. There's also the length as well, and I think the length of each of the shafts is kind of important. So the last two shafts, that is on the one with the spikes on the left and right, and on the one full of crabs, generally speaking, they're longer than the other shafts. And so, one, they're longer, and two, there's a greater distance between health and air refills as well. I think it's undesigned that way. I'm to simulate the sensation of going further and further underwater because there are bigger gaps between you being able to catch a breath. And I guess that's meant to simulate you know, the increased pressure as one goes into deeper water. I also think it gives the level a nice verse-chorus theme and variation pattern where you actually get recurring motifs like the vertical shaft comes back but it's modified on later iterations and the level design feels tighter and really pleasant here yeah also greg you're right it's if the shaft is narrow enough echo has a strafing motion both horizontal and vertical it's interesting too with the last two shafts how There's one shaft which I guess we could say is dedicated to avoiding the spikes, and then there's another shaft which is on avoiding the crabs. And it's how they separate on the challenges in that way. But then if we go back up to the top and we look at that first challenge that we're talking about, it's like you've got crabs, you've got spikes, you've got um, currants, and you've got jellyfish. (laughs) And so even, even within its own sort of logic, 
that first challenge is a bit out of place. Like if you look at the rest of the level, besides the second shafts, jellyfish aren't put in narrow shafts for the rest of the level. They are at the entrance points to each of the challenges, like in that separate area that you have between the shafts. They do fill that space, but they're not in the shafts as they are in the first challenge, which is interesting. In general, I don't know if this is true or just the impression I got, but I feel like jellyfish throughout Echo tend to be in the more open spaces. Yeah, they do. I'd also like to say that Daniel's also right about this first section definitely being more the more open one, where you just have these three branches. Yeah, they're all dead ends, but um, the rest of the level is pretty linear. You get Except for you know the last section towards the end there where the crabs are for your last air bubble, but you only have one dead end there, and then it's back onto the main path. I feel like throughout the level, um, you always have a choice, and then one of them is a dead end, right? Yeah, it's just this first section where you have three dead ends, as opposed to the later sections where you get one, maybe two. Mm, mm. Yeah, there are some dead ends as well, but they're pretty easy to spot anyway, so... Yeah. Uh, I was That's looking at the one really just above the shaft with the... Uh, series of spikes on the side. There's a dead end at the double T-junction above it with the first T-junction on the right, but that's it. Anyway, so you get all the way to the bottom and then there's another separate room here. You can eat some fish and then you go in and you talk to the asteroite. And it would have been neat, actually, if Echo had to go back up to the top and... There was some element of folded level design because, you know, I seem to be tied to that. <laughs> uh, tied to that thing from the Warrior book. But, um, yeah, that would have been neat if there was some kind of element of suspension. For example, if when you defeated the enemies, they would stay gone and that made it easier on the way up. Or even if, even if like, on the way up, there were upward moving currents activated, you know, that would be a nice take on the job. But, uh, yeah, you just kind of get to the bottom and you talk to, to the asteroid and then you kind of don't know where to go for a while, so you go back on the way that you came and uh, and then Echo just swims off screen. <laughs> and then you're in another, another Echo place. Echo folded for you. Yes, he does. So I thought this level was pretty neat because it does have a theme and... There's clear and obvious variation on that theme. And um, it ties in well with the game's overall, I guess it's overall theme of swimming around underwater because you're talking about deep water. (laughs) Right. And we can see this trend of expanding the distance between the air pockets. Well, you see where the school of fish are in this big open area here? And you sort of have to like swerve around to the next air pocket. And there's some jellyfish in that sort of uh, yeah, yeah, diagonal yeah. hallway there. It's in the bigger intermission section right. between the shafts. Yeah. So you look at the second one where it does that same thing, and it's a lot more narrow, and there's no fish there that time. Yeah, that's right, so yeah. That's an example of them tightening up the corridors so you have to swim better with Echo if you want to go through faster and without bumping into things. Yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say about this level. It's really neat. It's a good example of theme and variation in Echo the Dolphin. Next up is myself, and I will be doing the ice zone. So we start towards the east side of the map with a bunch of tiger sharks that don't show up on the sonar for some reason. The tiger sharks themselves are actually simple enemies. They just move left and right and you know sort of dash at you if you're in their line of sight. You have to like go all the way to the left side of the level yeah, to come back up to the crystal glyph on the right right so you have quite a few dead ends in this level there's a lot of ways this level sort of like sets you up for getting confused because you'll go down these three shafts there towards the bottom all of them are dead ends so the trick to this level is to actually use echo to jump up and slide on the ice to reach the other sections to the west so you jump between the different ice ponds uh, how long did it take you guys to figure that out? Not very long, actually. I, I got it, like, in about five minutes. It wasn't hard to figure out what to do, just executing it was the issue. Executing it, 
from some of the openings in the ice is really hard because some of them can be quite narrow. Yeah. In fact, the first one you might actually land in to the west, that one's actually really narrow. And if you don't jump over, you'll have a hard time trying to jump out of that one. It would seem that the theme of this level is probably quite uninspiring of <laughs> dead ends because, right. yeah, there's so many like interconnected areas here that you explore. You get to the end of the level and you're like, oh, what was all that for? This level is actually really short when you know where to go. Right. Um, the main deal with why this level can take so long is just because of the amount of dead ends you can have. It really is just the first pond you land in to the west goes straight down through a narrow passageway of jellyfish. About four really annoying crab things that you're going to have to go through. And then where the crystal cliff is, there's about three more, maybe uh, four more if you get too close to the ceiling of those stupid stone crab things before you get the key glyph. And then it's just backtrack to where you found the first key glyph. Or the first key gate, I should say. So yeah, this level, as far as variation, isn't really easy to nail down the theme or even what the idea behind the enemies are. They have a tendency to put these jellyfish in these vertical shafts, I can say that much. And a lot of these stone crabs inside the walls, which is kind of annoying sometimes, especially when you can't see them because they're behind the ice itself. This is one of those levels that prioritizes understanding the space above the water. And the ice plays into that nicely because you get a different challenge on the ice than you typically do above the water. Yeah, I would say that applies even more to the level that comes afterwards, which is actually hard water to where you're even jumping over spikes. So you start off with the tiger shark pond. This is easy for anyone to see in this sonar map. And the main way you want to head is to the west here. If you go south into the caves, you'll end up wasting a lot of time. Uh-huh. Um, not to mention, but here's another big deal about hard water, is that there are zero air pockets. Mm. Absolutely none. Another big deal with hard water are the moving ice blocks, where it's very easy for them to crush you. That's the main danger they present to the player. Can I just say about the crystal glyphs and going the wrong way? Right. Sometimes part of the challenge in Echo, when you use your sonar map, is um, you might see a crystal glyph up ahead, and think, oh, I want to go check that out. But you should be using the landscape around it to tell what kind of glyph it is. So I honestly can't remember if you can pick up that the glyph on the right on your map or if it's too far away. But if you could see that on your map, then you would see, oh, it's in a hallway, so it's probably a barrier glyph because it's blocking a passage that I could go through. Whereas when you see the one at the bottom on the left, you should recognize that that's a key one because there's nothing past it you would ever want to get to. Yeah, if you can mm. see the arrow, on because those arrows on the sonar maps, they actually do show up in-game. If you see that arrow, definitely barrier glyph. I just don't know if you can see it from the tiger pond area. Because mm, mm. if you can't see it from where that tiger pond area is, then that means by the time you use your sonar to see what kind it is, you can tell firsthand if it's a barrier glyph or not, and You'd have gone a long way already <laughs> to even reach it. And what's not showing up on the map here is the moving ice blocks. The most of them conglomerate on that spot, which is the most difficult challenge. So yeah, in this one, they actually put the hardest challenge, which is with the moving ice blocks towards the end. And it's really tense when you hit the key glyph, go all the way back, go through the crushing ice pillars, only to die at that last spot. <laughs> So would you say this level is characterized right? by the ice blocks? Yes, yeah, so they use them much more in this level. I don't even think they appeared in the last one. I don't remember if they do. I don't think they did. But in this one, yeah, the crushing ice blocks that move left and right is a key level element that sets up the challenges in this level, aside from the obnoxious crabs, which there are plenty in this level. There's no jellyfish this, there's no jellyfish this time, around, but there's plenty of annoying crabs. You know, you already know how I, how I feel, about, feel about them. I think they're, you know, a weak part of Echo's enemy design. Although, because there's so much fish in this level, it's very easy to tank some hits, immediately get some food, and then just keep on going. So it's not as bad as this level as it is in some others because food is so plentiful. Of course, 
the time you waste needing to get fished can also cause you to go down, get in up, oh no, I need health, and you, know, you waste time getting health, and it's like, oh great, I gotta go swim back all the way back up for air, and then try again. So really the most dangerous thing in this level are actually those crushing ice blocks, because they crush you, that's it, start over. Yeah, some of the enemies mm. in this game don't do damage, they just instantly kill you. Yeah. Mm. Now this level actually comes before the one that Daniel did, and I actually find this one uh, much harder. I'm, I know for sure I died on this one way more than deep water. What about you? What do you guys make of this level? Yeah, the levels tend to have a lot of inconsistencies in the difficulty. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you know, some levels should be designated. Like, I mean, you can't always be testing the player to the maximum of their capacity all the time. Like, there has to be you know, moments of rest, but um, yeah, it's just really weird in Echo. Some levels are really hard, some levels are really easy. The whole prehistoric world, actually, I found was quite easy. Yeah, I kind of um, sailed through that one. There's also uh, this area, which is in the bottom center, so that is if you start out from the Tiger Shark Pond and you go south and then you take the western side of the junction and there's just like a some crabs and some fish and yeah so there's a dead end in that one too i mean this does seem to be a bit of a trend as well you know where there's like dead ends i'm not sure if that's part of them trying to simulate reality or you like simulate a real environment or what but it's not really enjoyable as a player i enjoy just swimming around and getting a mental map of everything yeah to me i understand the dead ends for the purpose of making levels more open and more of a maze. Of course, in this level, that dead end in particular can be a bit more frustrating because of the fact that there's no air pockets at all in these levels. So if you go down there, waste your time checking that out, you'll have to go all the way back up past those crushing ice blocks again and likely get yourself ill. Yeah, it's just faster to die yeah. when you get down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also with the challenge on the left-hand side, they kind of teach you that once you run out of air, then your health starts to slowly decrease. And levels like this teach you about the relationship between air and health and on the fact that if you play okay, then health is just like extra air. And so you can just treat it as such in levels like this where you have to go down quite a way without a chance to actually get some air, but there's still health. And I know in some of the later levels, there's that trick as well, where it's like you can just abuse those schools of fish and still have no air. Yeah, it's not really a thing I got to take too much advantage of, using food when I'm all out of air. I always felt that when you're out of air, that your health decreases too fast that for the eating fish to be useful. Yeah, that's how I felt too. I couldn't eat fish fast enough to make mm-hmm. that a really a viable strategy. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I got to work a little bit, but... Um, oh, dang. Yeah. You got really good at eating fish, then. <laughs> <laughs> I love fish. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in one of the, um, for lack of a better word, the Aztec levels where I used that trick. But uh, yeah. anyway, um, I, I, I got to be off now because it's, it's 10.45 over here, so... You guys have a have a good chat, and um, yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Later. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. So, Greg, it's your turn. Yes. I picked a trilobite circle. I picked it because it felt the most normal out of Echo's levels. Echo, in general, I feel, is a maze game, and you have to find locks and then find the keys for the locks and then find a passage that will take you from one to the other in a good amount of time so that you don't run out of air. And I feel like that's what you do in Triloite Circle. You start off towards the center of the level, and you have to hop above the water. You swim over to the right, pick up a key, swim underwater through the left, and then swim up again in order to exit the level. And that's sort of this circle of Triloite Circle, that you start at the center top and then move clockwise through the level until you exit the level at about 9 o'clock. Also what makes it a circle is that if you get trapped by a current, 
you then have to swim back to the very beginning of the level, and that takes you in a full circle. Yep, that sucks. I think uh, that did happen to me. Another thing that makes so, this uh, <laughs> another thing that makes this trilobite circle is that they really love those chasing enemies, the trilobites. Yeah. And unless you kill them, they'll follow you, even if you try to despawn them by running away. Yeah. They're basically the same as the crabs, except I guess you could say their despawn range is even larger. <laughs> it's also the first level that has, or it's not the only one that has that seahorse thing. I think there is another section where you see that guy. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure there's another one. He shows up in the uh, second asteroid level. Yeah. So this seahorse thing is weird. He shoots out smaller seahorses when you shoot him. Yes. And I know it's a him because male seahorses are actually the ones that give birth because they're weird. <laughs> so that seahorse is like a mini boss and he's guarding the first key glyph. And yeah. he seems really unbalanced in that if you use your regular charge attack, I don't believe there's a way to avoid getting damaged. So I feel like death sonar is the only way you can feasibly beat him. Yeah, or do what I did, which is you know swim right, swim past, right him. past him. <laughs> Get the invincibility right. thing and then just ram into him until he dies. Because he can't turn around. Most of the enemies are not remarkable. Yeah, in a weird way, the enemies, uh, what makes them easier in this one, and in a sense more fair, is that um they move in really predictable ways. Right. Like those diagonal unicorn head thingies. I don't know what to call them. Yeah, they're interesting because they travel in those packs and they move in an interesting way and it's interesting to swim around them. Yeah, because it's diagonal. They're moving in two dimensions instead of just one. They're right. not your up and down jellyfish or your left and right shark enemies. But they're also not the completely broken chasing enemies. But you see them in uh, quite a few other levels and I don't think any of the enemies here really characterize this level. Unless maybe the seahorse. This level is really okay. more about its structure, figuring out the yeah. circle. There's only one air pocket in this whole level, and you have to really make the most of that one when swimming through. Right, that's after you get the key and you pass the barrier glyph, you get one air pocket yeah. and that'll take you through to the end of the level. But honestly, this level isn't too bad because the first key glyph that you get is also an invincibility glyph which gives mm -hmm. you free air for quite a long time so you yeah. can use the invincibility to book it straight through enemies and you have infinite air while you do so yeah that feels more like an early game kind of thing rather than a late game one giving invincibility like that yeah what do you think they introduced the invincibility in atlantis and i feel like that's about halfway through the game right yeah it made sense in Atlantis because it fit with the environment, but for it to continue appearing throughout the game felt weird. But I was just happy to have something that was an easy way to get air and health back. <laughs> yeah, in a way it acted as not only just as, a, as an air pocket, but also as food at the same time, since it did both at once. Right. So yeah, that's Trilobite Circle, where the enemy challenges aren't too involving in uh, the navigation challenge is really what it's about. Yeah, that's all I can really get out of this. I'm sorry. No, I mean, that's that's why I picked this level, is that I feel like most of Echo, there's not a whole lot to talk about. I'm trying to see if I can find ways to distinguish this from hard water and what may make this either more interesting or more pleasant to go through. Well, hard water um, is more... It, that introduces a unique challenge that you haven't seen before in the game. This and and in this level, as you move through a loop, which I don't believe happens elsewhere in the game, and if it does, it's nowhere near as prominently. Like this loop goes through the entire level. If you take a wrong turn, you have to do the whole thing over again. Yeah, this level is technically bigger. I try to bite circle. I mean, is technically bigger than you know hard water. It has about the same amount of locks, which is one key glyph, one key barrier. But hard water, oddly enough, is the one that's more deadly to the player because of those crushing ice blocks. It has crushing ice blocks, and the passages are 
much more discreet. Like, there's no one passage that goes across the length of the level like you have in the bottom here on uh, Trilobite Circle. Yeah, the thing is, even Trilobite Circle, if you were to jump to left, you would quickly come across a dead end. And then you know that, okay, the only place I have left to go is right, because you can't swim through one of those ponds, don't go anywhere. One just literally goes in a circle. And the other one is air current that you can't go through. So right is the only place you have left. And even then, you quickly see that if you move right, uh, that's where most of the action is going on. Right. Especially with that seahorse. But in hard water, there's a lot more dead ends you can go through. Like you can spend, like I know I myself spent a lot of time going down through these crushing ice blocks into this southern tiger pond only to get to that big ice block conglomerate only to realize that, wow, that was not only one of my first big dead end, but two, that was more level I needed to go through. So you can spend a lot of time just to find that one dead end, and then you have to go to the, to the left half of the level, and that in itself is its own maze with its own bunch of dead ends. So in a way, hard water is, weirdly enough, more complicated, where you can end up spending a lot more time going through it until you stumble upon the key glyph. So this, it, this really just confirms... Uh, what I was thinking about Echo and that, and what Daniel was even saying earlier about Echo being inconsistent. But I think it both makes sense in that navigating through a glacier, I guess you're swimming inside of a glacier or something like that. Naturally, that's going to be deadly and compact. Whereas my level, the Trilobite Circle, we're talking about swimming through, I don't know, just generic prehistoric ocean water. Yeah, but... uh well, I think I just what I said kind of still stands in that hard water is the more complicated of the two. That one can leave you spending a lot more time trying to look for or even realize where the lock is. Yeah, definitely. Whereas in Trilobite Circle, the lock is actually not that far from the key. They're within close range with each other, whereas in hard water, the level is clearly divided in half, and the first lock is deep in the first half of one and the keys in the deep half of the second half. Yeah. So, yep, <laughs> that goes inconsistent. I think I can uh, solidify that thought with uh, these two examples, especially when they're so far apart from each other in terms of, you know, when you do these levels. So to sort of wrap things up and to come to more to a conclusion, we were kind of right in our suspicions of Echo sort of having weird, inconsistent level design where levels can just be randomly harder and easier than ones that come before it. That goes kind of weird. It's all designed a bit all over the place. What that means is that whatever makes Echo Echo is not apparent and not something that I understand. While we can trace some variation within the levels themselves, actually, no, even in, within the levels themselves, as we saw with Daniel's level, harder sections of the level appear earlier than others. I think Daniel's may have been the most, how should I say, cohesive form of variation, but even that one had an oddity in it. Right. Daniel picked the level that, out of the entire game that would play most to our expectations of game design. Yeah, I think mine's did a little too, where the hardest section of ice blocks occurs towards the end. Yeah, that's true. But Trilobite Circle... At the hardest part of that level is probably the seahorse, which occurs, which can occur very early. Yeah, the seahorse is up front, and in Daniel's level, the vent is up front, and um, Deep City has that really hard jump way at the beginning. I almost wonder if that's a concession yeah. for the fact that you don't get checkpoints, but either way, I do feel like that's maybe a motif within Echo, that they put the hardest challenge up front. I'm not sure about that. Okay, I'm looking at Trilobite Circle again, and I actually can see where the level, um, you have a refining trend of variation where you see towards the end as the passages just get more narrow, and before that you have these big, much more open palms after the crystal barrier. Yeah. Yeah, you have those so, choke points that you swim through. Yeah. And then it narrows out more towards the end, and then you swim up and escape the level. So it's like it's like they halfway know what they're doing, but then making this game kind of on instinct <laughs> not a clear you know design I don't, I don't even know how to say this other than they have sort of an idea but not really for how to make levels and how to make them make sense without the game just feeling like difficulty 
peaks and dips at random intervals. I guess uh, I I feel differently whenever I, I come across something like this. Like I, when I don't understand it, I take that as a sign that I'm uh, missing something. Yeah, I wanted to take it that way too, but. To me, with our example of hard water and trilobite circle, I mean, hard water is very clearly more deadly because you go through these narrow passages with these left and right. You know, so blocks. you're, yes, you're. I mean, I don't think there's any refuting your point that one level is harder than another, but that doesn't mean that Echo has no design or artistry to it. That there's nothing holding it together. That just means it's not apparent. I'm not sure if. I would say that because we found that it was apparent that, you know, levels would just be like here, hard water, earlier level, in many ways, both as a maze and for level challenges, harder than trial by circle, no. which occurs later no. in the game. And so my point is, then that's not what gives Echo meaning. Echo doesn't have meaning because of its difficulty progression. It doesn't have meaning because of its enemy variation. It doesn't have meaning because of uh, <laughs> it's it's maze structure. There's uh, there's one of two ways. Your reading is that if there's nothing that gives it meaning, then it's kind of a mishmash and it's kind of a mess. And instinctually, that's the sense I get from Echo too. But I do feel like there's a chance that there is something to Echo, which is just not apparent. There's something that gives it meaning, which is not something we are seeing. Yeah, but I was taking this session to hopefully find if we could see something. I mean, mm. the only one I can really think of is maybe story-wise or like level thematics, where you go into, you know, friendly waters, into more dangerous ones, into frozen ones where there's less air. Back into the island zone again, where you meet the asteroid, so it eases up a bit before you go into Atlantis, and you go back in time to a more dangerous period with you know prehistoric animals, because in general things in those times are bigger and more deadly than they are now, <laughs> like seahorses. Yeah, like like giant seahorses, <laughs> <laughs> deadlier than any shark, <laughs> and, then, and then to straight up aliens, so. That's the only thing I can make sense of it, but in all the other, you know, gameplay-wise, which, right. you know, actually is the one I care about the most, there are points where I can just look at it and say, actually, no, it, I, I can confirm for myself that it doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know any designer that would say, oh, yeah, I made my earlier level way harder than my later level, but not in that sense of pacing. You know where it sort of dips up and then dips back down a little bit, the uh, denouement? Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't even happen in that sense. Right. So, although, to be, to be fair, the last level of Echo is really hard. Oh, my God. And not in a good way. So they got at least that part right. I mean, even, <laughs> I, even they do as designers that, well, our last level's got to be the hardest. And boy, did they go absolutely insane about it. <laughs> that level was designed by the Vortex Queen herself. Um, I would say two things to that. One, that's why the subject of our first podcast was naturalism, and that your comment about how environment informs the level design, that's the only thing I can find either. And two, if that's the only thing that makes sense, then that's like what you would choose to talk about. Whereas if we can find all these things that are inconsistent and make no sense, then like... It's worthwhile to discuss them to see if there is something there, but once it's apparent that difficulty <laughs> is just random, um, <laughs> then that's not an interesting thing to talk about with Echo. Actually, I, I would say that um, pointing out the difficulty is interesting to talk about. I mean, you have to dig through the levels and you know be able to point it out yourself and not just, I'll just take our word for it. No, I can be like, here, I can show you, and you can go see for yourself. I think it is still kind of interesting. Yeah. It's worth knowing, yeah. but I guess not talking about in detail. Or, right. Yeah. Well, no, even then, I I'd still would like to know, like, how random does it get? Like, how much does it dip and peak? Mm. Um, but we're, we're not going to go that deep. Because <laughs> really 
you know, basically yeah. you know, Mario Land 4, where we're look, taking apart each and every single level. I just wanted a few to cr- cross-compare and see what the variation was. Yeah, get a sampling. And as we've kind of come across. Yeah, and as we got through our sampling, the variation is kind of, kind of a mishmash. I do think that, you know, for as uh, haphazardly as we picked levels, we did get a good variation where Daniel had one that was a very strict and sensible level design with theme of variation, and you picked one that had a unique killing element that mm-hmm. characterized the level, and then I picked one that had a unique navigational challenge, and so it gave a good sense of the scope of Echo's challenges. Yeah. One thing I want I do want to cover is that final boss, or just before we wrap this up, I and mean, what did you think of it? To me, it was kind of cool, but also just a big disappointment. I thought it was really awesome, but I also thought it was dreadful that you don't get a checkpoint before the final stage. Oh, so, yeah, like, playing... Fighting the final boss with a 3DS save state at the beginning of the final boss, I thought it was fun. But having to play it on an actual Genesis, I'm sure, would be torture. Yeah, it would be, because you'd have to pay through the whole... And by the way, that last level goes six minutes. <laughs> it's a six-minute auto-scrolling level. When I read so that, I didn't believe it. No, every time you want to fight that boss, you have to go. You have to play through the entire six minutes over again. So yeah, I've heard the boss. I thought it could be so much better if Echo just wasn't being Echo. And what I mean by that is, um, because the thing is that first phase you can actually blow through pretty quickly when you know what you're doing and you the take eyes? advantage of. Yeah, you know, you or yeah, you shoot off his eyes. <laughs> I think it's a. I think it's a woman, by the way. Yeah. Take advantage of Echo's movement, you know, shoot diagonal, shoot it in the eyes, circle around and avoid these sprays, which it's kind of the first thing is that I wish, one, the damn thing fit on the screen, because yeah. it still feels super zoomed in, and there's no way to dodge those things from below, because they just, they lob upward, but then they just drop really fast, and there's no, like, pattern, really, to the way they spurt out. Right. So... It would have been cool if they came out in clear lanes, like say, you know, what a Mega Man boss would do, which was it would probably lob out like four balls to each side or something like that, and then you could sort of like slip in between them if you're really good. Like right. that would have been sick. But no, it sort of just barfs a whole bunch. <laughs> it barfs them out of its eyes too, so that's kind of creepy. Well, that's fitting so, with Echo in that it's about it's not about avoiding damage; it's about taking damage smartly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. In that boss, you lose your regeneration ability for right. some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Asteroid lied to you. My power it only works for this one level, and then it goes away. <laughs> but after that, it was kind of a what-do-I-do-now moment with figuring out how to kill it. And it's like, oh, you got to hit him in the mouth. Oh, by the way, this is another thing that kind of bugs me about the fight, is when you're using Echo's death sonar, or if there's just too many sounds going on in general, it'll actually like delete out other audio channels to where you can't hear him making doing the suction thing. Oh. And that's one things that would trip me up when he barfs out of his eyeballs is sometimes Echo would get sucked in and I would get hit into the balls. Mm. That still is better than taking damage from the aliens who for some reason they changed the hidden vulnerability rules. To where they sort of just drain you instantly. Yeah, it's an or instant. You... Yeah, it's tantamount to an instant kill. Yeah, but those balls, they have normal hit and vulnerability. <laughs> right. Where it's like, oh, I get hit and I flicker for a little bit. And it's like, okay. Honestly, that boss is but hard yeah. enough that you could do it without the respawning enemies. Yeah. Hitting in the mouth, though, that one, you can get a rhythm to it, and it's really nice when you do. Yeah. But it's also... Sometimes those green things just spawn out of the holes in ways that can kind of drag on the fight because it's like, go away. And you don't want to take your chances with attacking if he doesn't do the suction first because if he does it as you're attacking him, uh, the force is too strong for you to go away if you're too close. And then he hits you in instant death, (laughs) which makes sense. I'm okay with the instant death, but it's the green sludge things at the bottom that can drag on the fight if you happen to miss a beat. I would just keep the cannons off screen. Oh, they appear on the bottom too. Oh, that's what. Eh, yeah, yeah, I would just stay high up and um, high up and 
high enough off the bottom of the screen. And that meant I spent a lot of time chilling out when I could have been attacking the Vortex Queen, but I didn't want to risk it. Oh, uh, okay. I find that you can actually knock out its three jaws, S3 apparently, really fast if you get that you know, rhythm going where you hit him, it'll all, and uh, immediately after you hit it, it'll always suck. Yeah. So that's what I mean by getting a beat. like, hit him, sucks, hit him again, suck, hit him again, suck. Yeah. Hit her again, suck. And then after that, it took a little while for me to figure out, okay, now you have to hit its big old head. <laughs> and of course, you have to do a charge attack because the death sonar doesn't do anything, and then that's when aliens just start spawning out of its forehead. That one was fine. I actually got that phase on the first go. I did not, but I'm fine with it too anyway. <laughs> so yeah. Still though, one word's just disappointing is like, oh, this could be cooler if you just changed some things a little bit and didn't screw with the hidden vulnerability rules in the last minute. And it, it almost makes you wonder, what if there were more bosses in Echo? And that's something I hope we get to see more in the, in the sequel. I did not like these bosses, so... <laughs> I thought you said this fight was cool. Yeah, but these asteroid fights and the seahorse mini-boss? Oh, okay. I I don't even call those bosses. Just, I guess just more things like the alien queen. Yeah. More things like that, where you take advantage of Echo's movement, because it was kind of cool. Of course, I had to change the rules for him breathing, so that would actually put in another layer to the fight, which would be kind of neat. But, you know, that's just me throwing out ideas for to set up my own disappointment for when I play the sequels, whenever I get around to them. This was one long conclusion. <laughs> I believe so, yes. So, any final words, Greg? I never thought I would play through Echo, and I did so with save states, but I still made it farther than I thought I would have. Same here. I made it farther than I thought I would have. Well, actually, no, I'm always intent on beating every game I can make. Echo's a disappointment, I would say.